This podcast is sponsored by Harrington Interactive Media. Are you working on a book? Let them help you get it to print, from manuscript development to marketing. Get help to publish that book you've been working on. See examples of their work and schedule a discovery call with them at harringtoninteractive.com. This is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. We are a group of men who gather together to encourage each other in friendship and in faith, and to support each other to be better husbands, fathers, and better men in the marketplace and in our communities. Friendship at NCS happens through our regular meetings in local chapters all across the country. The Franklin, Tennessee chapter meets the first and third Thursdays of each month at Puckett's Grocery and Restaurant in downtown Franklin from 7 to 8 a.m. This week, we heard from Scott Sauls and his talk called From Strength to Weakness. Here's Scott. For anybody who is new this morning, this is New Canaan Society. We are glad to have you here with us this morning. We do this a couple of times a month on Thursday mornings. Uh, start around 7, we'll be done by 8, and we're just glad to have you here. I will be passing around a yellow tablet, just if you're new, want to get our emails, we don't hit you with a lot of emails, but just uh, reminders of the meetings, and we will uh, just give us your name and your uh, email address, and we'll get you on that list. Quick reminder, uh, make sure that you bless the wait staff this morning. They get up awfully early to come here and serve us, so uh, thank you for uh, remembering that as well. We are so pleased this morning to have Scott Saul with us. Uh, Scott has a special place in my heart. He showed a tremendous kindness to my wife two or three years ago in a, in a very servant role, and I have told him how much I appreciate that, and I'll tell him again this morning, Scott, how much I appreciated how you served my wife. We are really pleased that he's here with us this morning. Scott is the senior pastor from Christ Presbyterian, Formerly, he was uh, with Redeemer Church in New York. He's also planted churches in St. Louis and Kansas City. And he's going to be with us this morning to share. Scott, I don't know what all you're going to share, but I'm just going to say quickly, if you've not seen his book and read his book, get it and read it. I read it back in February, and it was one of the most impactful books that I've read. It'll be one of those books that I'll pick up and read over and over again. And Scott, we're just pleased to have you here with us this morning. So just uh, excuse me for a second while I adjust the microphone. I'm unusually tall. I'm the guy who bumps his head in doorways sometimes. Um, Will this come up uh, here as well? Great. Oh, perfect. That's great. Thanks so much. You know what? Uh, I got the wrong glasses too. Hold on. So yeah, welcome to my life. I'm a mess. So uh, I'll start it off that way. Uh, great to be with you guys again. I've been here a couple of times before and, um, you know, several folks I'm, I'm uh, in community with and uh, just grateful to, to see uh, something like this, a uh, gathering of men like this uh, happening in Franklin. I think Wes Yoder invited me out uh, for the first time maybe four or five years ago. And uh, this has really grown. Uh, it's really neat to, to see uh, more guys 
coming together, and uh, Wes had asked me to uh, um, speak on uh, some of the concepts in, in the book uh, that was just introduced, and uh, what I'd like to do is just uh, sort of frame it or introduce it um, with the question, what, what is a real man? Uh, when, it, when it comes down to it, uh, what is a real man? And Jesus Christ uh, gives a great summary of that. Uh, and it is counterintuitive, I think, to what we think when we think of what a real man is. Uh, and here's how he describes a real man. Jesus opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, this is from Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So um, that's a real man. Meek, humble, uh, self-effacing, other-oriented, uh, taking the position of a servant, not too eager to draw attention to oneself, uh, propping others up, and so on. Um, uh, and uh, I think the summary word uh, for all of this is, is a word that's tucked right there in the middle of the Beatitudes, and it's the word meekness. You know, Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. The, the meek are going to be the ones who end up on top at the end of the day, and um, there is an imbalance, isn't there, uh, in the West, especially um, in our part of the world. Uh, when you think of Jesus as lion and lamb, I think uh, a lot of us, if you, if you, if you, if you have the option, let's say, let's say God says, you can be either one. Which do you want to be? Do you want to be the lion or the lamb? Or do you want to be the eagle or do you want to be the bluebird? Uh, what do you want to be? And I think a lot of us would say, well, I want to be the lion. I want to be the eagle. I want to be the one to take the hill. And that's, that's, that's certainly an aspect of what it means to follow Jesus and, 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 and get behind what Jesus is doing in the world. Um, because Jesus is a lion. He's a fighter. Uh, he's a winner. But he's also uh, one who fights and wins through meekness, through self-sacrifice. Uh, and um, and so what I want to do is talk a little bit about um, you know, what it might look like for us to lean into the lamb-like uh, qualities of Jesus. And what I want to do first, though, is suggest, um, and stay with me after I say this, that Jesus is un-American. He couldn't be more un-American. Um, he's not anti-American, by the way. Uh, but he's un-American in a lot of ways, and uh, I'd like to qualify that by reading just a few words here uh, to set up uh, the rest of what I'm going to say. And this is uh, specifically in the realm of leadership, but you can insert for the word leader. Uh, 
faithful human being. Jesus offers a radically different understanding of what it means to be a leader. His vision for leadership often parts ways with the typical American view of such things. For example, in America, credentials qualify a person to lead. In Jesus, the chief qualification is character. In America, what matters most are the results we produce. In Jesus, what matters most is the kind of people we are becoming. In America, success is measured by material accumulation, power, and the positions that we hold. In Jesus, success is measured by material generosity, humility, and the people whom we serve. In America, it is shameful to come in last and laudable to come in first. In Jesus, the first will be last and the last will be first. In America, leaders make a name for themselves to become famous and sometimes treat Jesus as a means to that end. In Jesus, leaders make his name famous and treat their own positions, abilities, and influence as a means to that end. In America, leaders crave recognition and credit. In Jesus, leaders think less of themselves and give credit to others. In America, leaders compare and compete so they will flourish. In Jesus, leaders sacrifice and serve so others will flourish. In America, leadership often means my glory and happiness at your expense. In Jesus, leadership always means your growth and wholeness at my expense. In America, the strong and powerful rise to the top. In Jesus, the meek inherit the earth. So um, there's this clash of ideals. And uh, I want to suggest a prayer. Um, and uh, you, know, you can take it or leave it. But this is a prayer that, that I pray for myself every morning because I know what my own weaknesses are. I know what my own Achilles uh, are. Uh, if you're in any way familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a three, which means I need the crowds to like me uh, in order to feel important. Uh, and that's not always a good thing. And so my prayer for myself uh, every single morning is God always give me character that exceeds my gifts and abilities and always give me humility that exceeds my influence. Character that's ahead of my gifts and abilities and, and humility that's ahead of, of any influence. And, and, and um, that's just a great way uh, for the Lord to reset my heart every morning to remind me of what my purpose is. My purpose uh, is not to make a name for myself or become you know, this great you know, whatever. My purpose is to um, draw attention to Christ and to love the people that Christ puts in front of me. And I'm very imperfect at those things. And yet that's what I aspire to be. And so, so what I want to do, um, you know, sort of in light of that is to talk a little bit about the problem of pride, uh, which is the opposite of meekness or, or humility. So um, who's seen the movie Shrek? Okay, a few of you? Okay, so, um, so it's this animated film, and Shrek is this grumpy ogre, and, uh, you know, sort of his partner who, you know, travels with him is, is you know, this donkey named Donkey. And, um, and they are both standing in one of the scenes at the bottom of the tower of a man named Lord Farquaad, who's the king of the land, uh, who's also the king is very insecure. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's small in stature uh, and um, very self-centered. And so uh, uh, Shrek and Donkey are standing at the bottom of his enormous tower. It's this huge edifice. And, and Donkey looks up and says, Shrek, 
what an amazing tower this is. This is huge. Have you ever seen anything so big and significant and grand? I'm paraphrasing. And Shrek looks down at Donkey and he says, looks like somebody's compensating for something. Uh, isn't it true that we, we want to appear big because we feel small? We want to appear significant because we feel invisible, right? Um, so in Philippians chapter 2, which I highly recommend uh, as a regular read, but Philippians chapter 2 uh, says to do nothing out of, it's translated, vain conceit. And this, uh, the original language, the original Greek that, that we get this term vain conceit from is kinodoxa, which means empty of glory. Uh, it's to feel emotionally needy, to, to crave attention, to crave applause, uh, to crave recognition, and to always be getting your feelings hurt, uh, always feeling slighted uh, when, you know, maybe you're not getting the approval and the pats on the back that, that you feel you deserve from the people around you. And so um, one example of this, one shining example of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a man who acts big because he feels small is King Saul in uh, the Old Testament. And uh, I, I wonder if God gave me the last name Saul's um, just to, to remind me of how vulnerable I am, just like this man, to these sorts of things. Um, so King Saul is the king of Israel, and they, 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 they wanted him to be their king because he was a big guy. You know, he was this this big, you know, brash warrior, military type who'd won uh, some impressive battles. And so he's, they, they make him king, and the Lord, you know, makes him king. He's like, you, I'm going to give you exactly what you asked for. Uh, you want him instead of me to be your king? Okay, let's see how it works out for you. And, uh, you know, fast forward, uh, you know, the Philistine Goliath, another, you know, big, brash, tough guy, uh, challenges the armies of Israel and says, send me your best fighter. Whoever wins, uh, you know, gets to rule over both Philistia and Israel. And Saul is, you know, in a tent somewhere hiding, biting his nails, scared. You know, the real man, Saul, is revealed under pressure. And he's running and he's hiding and he's terrified. And this, this young boy named David um, says, hey, you know, the Lord is bigger than this, this Philistine giant. I'll take him on. And, and David grabs a slingshot, you know, ready, aim, fire, topples Goliath and, uh, you know, wins the battle on behalf of the nation of Israel. And so, so here's, here's the, the place, you know, that, that, that helps us get into the heart of Saul and, and where he's really at. Acts big, feels small. A song is sung. Saul has slain his thousands the people started to sing. Now, if you are a military person and people sing those words about you, a tribute, so-and-so has slain his thousands, how are you going to feel about that? Pretty good, right? But the next line is, David has slain his, anyone? Tens of thousands. So what is a supreme compliment? High praise one second, only a second later becomes an insult because nobody wants to be number two in the eyes of the world, right? 
And, and, and from that point forward, uh, Saul wants to assassinate David and get him out of the way. That comes, that aggression that, 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 that overtook Saul. Um, that shaming, aggressive approach with David came from a fragile ego. Aggression, big shotness, comes from a sense of feeling weak and small. And, um, you know, this plays out in different areas of life. Who's, who knows of the comedian Tom Arnold? Anybody? So, so Tom Arnold uh, wrote a book called How I Lost Five Pounds in Six Years. And uh, don't recommend that if you're actually trying to get in shape. But here's, here's why he said he wrote the book. Somebody asked him why he wrote the book, and he said, Lots of us in entertainment are broken people looking for validation. The reason I wrote the book is so I'd have something out there so people would say they like me. It's the reason behind almost everything I do. Um, can you relate to that? Uh, I can relate to that. Um, Tom Arnold is so endearing uh, from, from his honesty because I think he's so relatable uh, in, in statements like that to, to most of us. I mean, what it boils down to is we're, we're all just trying to figure out a way to know that we're loved, right? And, um, you know, we want to be esteemed, we want to be applauded, we want to be recognized. And so when it feels like we've been overlooked, uh, when it feels like we're not getting the pats on the back that, 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 we, that we desire, um, it can have this, this sort of depressive effect on us. And so... Um, let me give you my own uh, Saul David example. Um, sixth grade, field day. Um, did you guys do field day when you were in elementary school? Yeah, field day. You're the ones who won the blue ribbon and the triple jump. Uh, <clears throat> congratulations. Um, relive the glory days from your sixth grade you know, field day. So, so field day, back in sixth grade, which, which for me was a long time ago, um, I was the representative for my class for uh, the 50-yard dash, and I tied a- another guy named Doug for first place. And so the teachers had us, you know, do a runoff just between the two of us to see who would get first and second, and we tied again. And then we tied again, and then we, we tied five times. And and so, you know, the, cl- the bell rung, and we had to go home, and so we're both our first place, or we're both our second place. It was a completely unsatisfying experience. <laughs> and, um, and so from that point forward, this is true. Doug and I, you know, we'd pass each other in the hallway, and we'd be like, yeah, what's up? You know, I'm better than you. And, and, and you know, we ended up, you know, graduating from sixth grade, going to different middle schools, never seeing each other again until several years later. Fast forward. Uh, my wife and I are, um, you know, we're, we're, we're sitting down uh, in, in our living room. Uh, she's recovering from a surgery. I'm in the, you know, I'm in the little kitchen area, you know, fixing some food for us. And uh, it's Olympic season, and you know what's coming. Uh, the national anthem starts to play, and I, you know, I'm like, oh, who won a gold for the, the United States? And there's Doug standing on the podium with a gold around his neck. <laughs> Um, and the, the first thought that comes to my mind is, well, at least I have my master's degree. Um, you know, I mean, 
We are constantly looking for a way to one-up whoever's around us. We want to one-up each other. Um, You know what caused Satan to be Satan? He couldn't stand the thought of being number two. He was the most glorious angel. He was the number one angel before he fell. And there came a point where he just couldn't be satisfied with, with anything but being the center of things. And the rest is history, truly. Um, so an inflamed ego... An infected ego is a lot like an infected foot. Um, I got two, uh, I got tendonitis in both of my feet uh, after my first year of living in Nashville uh, because I, I fell in love with the Percy Warner parks and trails, and I was pounding the trails every day, you know, five, six, seven miles as hard as I could go, and, you know, stepping on the rocks and the roots and everything else. Ended up getting tendonitis in both of my feet. And if you've ever had tendonitis, you know that it takes a long time for tendonitis to heal. And so for two years, you know, I'm coming in, you know, the house, you know, constantly saying, oh, my feet just still hurt. My feet, my feet. Infected feet are constantly drawing attention to themselves, right? But when your feet are doing their job, when they're not infected, you don't notice them. Even though they carry... Your full weight. Uh, they, 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 they take you everywhere that you go, but you're never thinking about your feet. And it would be just kind of weird to, you know, start having a conversation around your tables here and say, well, how are you doing this week? Oh, man, my feet are feeling great. I mean, really? But, but that, that, that response to that question makes sense if your feet have been injured for, for a long time and, and, and you're experiencing healing. Um, you're just not thinking about your feet anymore because they're not wounded. It's the same with the ego. You know, when the ego is wounded, we're, we're constantly trying to turn conversations back to us. You know, it's like the old, uh, you know, Groucho Marx uh, um, skit where he's going on and on and on about himself with the person he's in conversation with. And there's this about me, and I'll tell you another something about me, and also this about me, and, and this about me. And then he stops himself and he says, oh, this is so insensitive of me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? Uh, and, and that comes like the inflamed foot. The, the ego is constantly having to draw attention to itself. But when the ego is healthy, you get you know, this, this beautiful, lovely dynamic. It's the friend that everybody wants to have. It's what Tim Keller calls blessed self-forgetfulness. Blessed self-forgetfulness. Or, or as you know, C.S. Lewis defined humility or meekness, he says... He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not like some low low self-esteem or anything like that. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And you can think of yourself less when your sense of identity is saturated by who God says you are. You know, just in a conversation, you know, before this, you know, 100 years from now, nobody's going to remember me except Jesus Christ. And so why am I slaving to impress you when you're going to be dead pretty soon? And so am I. <laughs> Truly. Why is, is so much of my life devoted to getting your approval when the only one who's going to remember me in 100 years is Jesus Christ? Uh, and so there's also a really liberating 
you know, reality about that. If the only person that's going to remember me in a hundred years is Jesus Christ, then really all my life has to be about is just pressing in to that, that, that reality that I already have in Christ. As one who's been loved, who's been called a son, who's been forgiven, who's been declared righteous and blameless, not only on my best day, but on my worst day, because my standing before God is not because of my performance or my achievement or whether or not I can knock Goliath down. It's none of that. You know, my approval before God is based on something that God decided to do before I was born. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I made you, I set you apart, he says to the prophet Jeremiah. David says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Before the foundations of the earth, the Bible says, he set his love upon you through Jesus. And, and, And it's never changed. It's never changed. And it never will. And so sit in that, get your, get your ego healthy that way by sitting in the reality of who you are, not because of you and what you've accomplished, but because of who Jesus is and, 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 and of the love that, that, that gushes over you every single moment of every single day, whether you feel it, recognize it, notice it, whether you're aware of it or not, it is, it is still gushing over you constantly. You know, our goal is not to uh, work hard to get close to Jesus. Our goal is to recognize how close to Jesus we already are because of the love that he has set upon us. Not when we were at our best, but when we were at our worst. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still holy and righteous and good and virtuous, no, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So start there. It's not about what you accomplish. It's not about how awesome you are. God has not called you to be awesome. He's called you to be humbled, faithful, and free. That's your calling in life under Jesus Christ. The pressure is off. So um, problem of pride, that's the problem of pride. The beauty of meekness is this. It's the opposite of needy self-absorption. David Brooks from the New York Times, who's actually a recent convert to Christianity, um, he wrote this. You know, listen to this. This was written as a brand new Christian. Talk about growing, growing up fast in Christ. He says, meekness is a form of awareness from the context of other-centeredness. It's having an accurate assessment of your own nature. It's having an accurate assessment of your own place in the cosmos. It's an awareness that you are an underdog in the struggle against your own sins. It's understanding yourself in the context of a greater divine order, knowing that you are not the center of the universe and that you need redemptive assistance to complete your tasks. It's self-awareness in the context of other-centeredness. It's what Jim Collins, the business writer, calls a level five leader. Humble, self-effacing, always looking for opportunities to prop other people up, not threatened by talented people right under you on the org chart, Um, content to be surpassed in the way that Saul was surpassed by young David. Meek people are humble, kind, approachable, non-threatening. They're more interested in you than they are in getting you interested in them. That's how you can tell a, a meek person. A meek person, you like them and you want to be like them. 
Um, so, so there was a funeral uh, in our sanctuary uh, a couple of years ago uh, for my daughter's boyfriend's dad. Uh, and my bo- daughter's boyfriend's dad is named Ben Ellis. And uh, Ben uh, was a school teacher, uh, faithful father, uh, quiet, humble, loving man. And uh, the sanctuary was packed. And um, one of the people who got up to give a, you know, a, a, a eulogy uh, of Ben's life described a father-son camping experience gone bad, uh, where you know, there, were, there were about four sets of father-sons you know, taking their sons out for a camping trip, and it started you know, this torrential downpour of rain. Uh, their first night, and the boys are all whining and complaining and, and you know, grumpy. And, and one of the dads gets up and says, Boys, we're going to take this weather on. We're, we're not going to let this get us down. We're going to be eagles. We're going to conquer the elements. Eagles, I say. You know, the Shakespearean St. Crispin speech, right? And, and then Ben leans over to this other father and says, What if I don't want to be an eagle? What if... What if I'd rather be a bluebird? You know, the bluebird who quietly goes from perch to perch to sing a quiet song of encouragement and then goes to another perch to sing a quiet song of encouragement to somebody else and then another perch to sing another sign, uh, song of encouragement. What if I'm more of a bluebird than an eagle? How, how does that work in your vision for our weekend? You know, the eagle is the symbol of conquest, glory, soaring strength, the bluebird is the quiet encourager. So later on in the service, uh, another friend, a woman, uh, a woman got up and, and before she shared the words that she was going to share about Ben's life and his impact on her, she said, can I ask a question? Probably about 1,600 people uh, in there. Uh, if Ben ever pursued you personally, can you please raise your hand? And I think almost every hand in that sanctuary went up. And those were just the people who attended his funeral. This quiet man, you'd have never known it. You know, we had a, a funeral, another funeral this past week of a, of a former elder in our church named Gary Scudder. Same kind of life. Incredibly talented man. Vanderbilt uh, business professor and, you know, the, the bluebird type. And all these stories come up at the funeral, right? Of, 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 of this profound, quiet, faithful impact that these people have on others. Here's what I want to ask. Why don't we have funerals before we die? Where somebody gets up and, or, or a series of people get up and, and just start eulogizing us before we're dead. I mean, what kind of impact would that have on our life? If people got up and talked about the, the personal impact that we're having on their lives before they lost us, right? Uh, we need more of that. We need more encouragement and benediction and building one another up before death. <laughs> but that's sort of a side point. That's a little bit of a rabbit trail. But I left Ben's uh, funeral with the question... Who was it, anyway, who said that nice guys finish last? That's crazy. The meek will inherit the earth. The bravado, the the King Saul, will be humbled. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He elevates the humble. 
And, you know, Isaiah chapter 40 sort of, um, you know, drives this home, right? You know, aim at, aim at greatness, or I'm sorry, aim at meekness and you'll get greatness thrown in, but aim at greatness and you'll get neither, right? But in the end, Isaiah tells us, it's the bluebirds that become the eagles in the truest sense. Isaiah 40, even youths, or if you've seen my cousin Vinny, even youths, uh, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So Robert Dabney said that pride is the vulture, but meekness or humility is the eagle soaring into the upper sky, yet never judging itself to have risen high, because its eye is fixed upon the distant sun. And so really the message here is about another sun with an O in the middle instead of a U. You know, the, 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 uh, the key to becoming meek is not by trying to become meek. You know, the key to becoming meek is to fix our gaze not on the distant sun, as Dabney says, but on the sun who is drawn near, uh, to fix our gaze on Jesus Christ. We become like Jesus Christ not by trying to be like Jesus Christ. We become like Jesus Christ by being with Jesus Christ. He rubs off on us like a virus. The closer you get to him, the more you drink after him, the more you inhale his breath, the more likely you are to catch what he's got. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Stop trying to be like Jesus. You're going to fail. Try to, be, try to be with him. And in, in being with him, you'll find that over time you will become like him. He'll rub off on you like the smoke in a barbecue restaurant does. You walk in happy with this big old smile. You walk out smelling like barbecue, right, uh, for the rest of the night. Be in the environment of Jesus Christ as much as you can and as often as you can. And over time, you'll find yourself growing to become like him. So funerals. Uh, this is the last thing I'll say. <clears throat> when, when, when we sit at a funeral and consider a life well-lived, you know, we, we leave with this thought, you know, so-and-so, you know, Ben Ellis or, uh, or, or Gary Scudder, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm leaving, you know, their legacy wanting to be a better human being. They make me want to be a better man. But, but what, we, what, what we forget about as well is that in these kinds of funerals, we're getting the highlight reel of their lives, we're not getting the full picture of their struggles and their sins. Like those things are appropriately not emphasized at funerals. Um, you know, we're, we're not getting this, the struggles with selfishness and, and everything else that, 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 that also comes along with the eulogy. And, and we leave mistakenly thinking it's possible to be a perfect human being like so-and-so and so-and-so. Because they did it, but they didn't. You're getting the highlight reel at their, at their funeral. And so we need something more than, than an example <clears throat> set for us. We need another life that has not only been well-lived, but flawlessly and impeccably and perfectly and selflessly lived. The true bluebird who makes you want to be a better man. And so I'll I'll close um, my remarks this morning by asking all of us the question, if Jesus Christ has ever pursued you personally, will you raise your hand? That's enough. That's enough. Here's what it says in the 18th Psalm. You have given me the shield of your salvation, Lord, and your right hand supported me, and your meekness 
made me great. Your meekness made me great. His meekness can make you great. In the true, un-American but never anti-American sense of the word. You know, we're the ends of the earth. He set his heart on us when he declared the Great Commission, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and also to the ends of the earth. He set his heart on us all the way back when, before we were born. He included us. The last words of Jesus Christ will also be my last words to us. The last words of Jesus Christ on the cross, it is finished. What, what that means is that because it is finished, the last words of Jesus Christ, it is finished, have now become the first words out of which we get to live. We work not toward a reward and a blessing and approval and favor and a song sung over us. We work out of a song that's already been sung because of Christ. You are his beloved. Don't ever forget that. And if you don't ever forget that, then you can start to forget about yourself and get about the business of loving God and loving, ma- loving neighbor, which is what you've ma- you're made for. So let's pray together. Father, you tell us that the meek shall inherit the earth and uh, teach us what it means that we are already heirs of everything that belongs to you, Jesus Christ, the rightful heir of everything. We are your co-heirs, sons of God, through faith in Christ Jesus, united with Christ, fully in Christ, declared completely forgiven, therefore we have nothing to fear, completely blameless in your sight, therefore we have nothing to prove, completely loved by you, and our best and our worst, always loved the same, and therefore we have nothing to hide. Teach us and help us to live in these realities as we pursue being with you, that we might also become like you. In your name we pray. Amen. Scott, thank you so much. What a way to start the day today. We're just so thankful you're here with us. Guys, it's been good to be with you. Go with the blessings of Christ. You've been listening to the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. Remember to check out Harrington Interactive Media about publishing your book. Mention the New Canaan Society when you go to harringtoninteractive.com. And make sure to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts to spread the word.